Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Welcome back. That's all the words I know, so we'll stop right there. (laughs) But welcome back to Equipping You Podcast. Alan was dancing then. This is season four, episode four. And uh, we're coming to you today mostly from Colorado Springs, where winter invades summer at the drop of a hat. We're recording this in August, and June 9th, June 9th, we had measurable snow in Colorado Springs. So uh, you just never know what the weather's going to do. Uh, uh, I'm Terry, Church Ministries Leader for the Alliance. And I'm Alan, Eastern PA District Director of Multiplication. And Caitlin is with us also. Great to have you along for the ride, Caitlin. Always glad to be here. It's actually Alan and I that are along for the ride. Caitlin is driving the car. uh, It's better that way. It is. She is our trusty producer. Well, going to talk about church revitalization today and have a guest with us, Ken Pretty, that I first met at a church multiplication training center event uh, 25, 22, 23 years ago. Uh, and he, he's really a guru on church revitalization, consultant, and currently executive director of the Go Center for the Presbytery, Presbytery of the Mid-Atlantic. So looking forward to uh, the insights that uh, Ken has for us. So we're going to, without further ado, jump right on in. So grab yourself a 7-Eleven Slurpee and uh, sit back, relax. Here we go. Hey, Equipping You friends, it's Caitlin here, and I want to tell you about something super special that we have launched here at Equipping You that's just for you, and we think you're really going to love it. If you're an avid Equipping You listener, an Equipping You live attender, or both, you need to join our Facebook group called Equipping You Community. We love that on the podcast and at Equipping You Live, we get to empower you in your ministries. But we believe that for you to really see the true transformation of your leadership that you want, applying what you learn in community is key. So pause this episode right now and head over to facebook.com slash groups slash equipping you community. Or you can go to equippingyou.com and scroll all the way to the bottom and click on equipping you community. We can't wait to see you there. Well, we're pleased to welcome to Equipping You podcast today. A uh, good friend of the Alliance, uh, Ken Pretty. Uh, Ken, thanks thanks for uh, being with us today. We really appreciate you taking the time to do so. Sure, my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. So uh, I've been aware of you for a number of years. Don't know all the details of your story, but maybe our listeners don't either. So tell us a little bit about your background, how you came to faith in Jesus, and how you became involved in the revitalization and replanting of churches. Yeah, well, uh, like many folks, uh, I had the advantage of uh, being raised in a home with Christian parents. 
And so I became uh, very active in the church at a very young age. Um, as I think back, um, the, the aspect of Jesus as Savior seemed to be the emphasis. Uh, and so probably around age 10, 11, something like that, um, I had grown up in my understanding. I was an inner city kid. A lot of my friends were having trouble with the law. So I had a, I had a keen sense of crime and punishment at an early age. And it was pretty simple for me to translate that into sin being a crime and there being a punishment, particularly in the, in the denomination that I was brought up in. So, you know, that just made sense to me. And I remember one Sunday evening uh, at the end of the service, an invitation was given and uh, I was I was sitting next to my dad and I, I asked him if he would walk down with me and just walked the aisle and received Christ as Savior. Uh, but I'll have to say I had no concept at that point of Jesus as Lord. Mm. So I just kind of rode that for a lot of years. I had similar paths, a lot of folks. I got a little bit away from the church in my teen years, early 20s. Uh, but I married very young. Uh, my wife had a similar background, and uh, God just put some things in our in our lives uh, very early in our twenties that caused us to uh, want to plug back in. And we got involved with a, a church. We were living in Richmond, Virginia, which was home for us at the time, and is now home for us again after uh, fifteen years in various places. But uh, it was at that particular church that the, the teaching ministry began to emphasize that, uh, you know, being engaged with Jesus Christ was not just uh, a kind of a soul insurance policy, that there was actually supposed to be this daily connection that uh, I had never experienced. But uh, I did have... Uh, a season of learning and studying and praying. And then it kind of all came together one evening in August of 1975 when, uh, when Jesus just sort of broke through into my heart, into my mind as, as Lord, not just Savior. And that, of course, was a pivotal moment for me. I think a lot about that moment in in uh, uh, being analogous, perhaps, to Jesus in uh, Caesarea Philippi saying, who do you say that I am? And, you know, that was the night that I sort of figured it out by the grace of God. Uh, and so, you know, that was the start. That was the start of a, a deepening relationship with Christ. One thing led to another. Um I ended up getting involved in local church ministry uh, as a church in church planting. Uh, I was kind of one of those late bloomers. You know how that goes. Um, by the time I was close to 40, I had uh, been through uh, seasons of a music career, translated that into music ministry, got involved in planting churches felt the call to go more broadly and deeply into pastoral ministry. So I uh, headed off to seminary, 
with a wife and four kids, which, by the way, is not I'm not recommending that path, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but that's how it played out. So I I had an opportunity to plant um, a a second church uh, while in seminary and coming out. uh, My intention was to plant uh, again, this time as the senior pastor, the, the, the lead planter. But God uh, led me to become pastor of an 87-year-old church that had declined to 13 people. Wow. And that was the moment at which I stepped into the world of revitalization. So if, if you're kind of looking for where did that start, it was, uh, uh, let's see, summer of 1993 when I stepped into that environment. I had been recruited as a planter with the idea of starting all over with this church. But I learned quickly that uh, the kinds of things you look for in a church planting core were not present among that 13 people. So I had to back up and sort of relearn. A lot of the church planting things were important, but there was more. So that that was the start. That's what sort of got me on that road of trying to figure out how revitalization works. Well, I pastored a church that started at 20 or 25. And after six months of my wonderful ministry, it, it it had grown to 15. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, I didn't get quite to 13, but I feel your pain and know the challenge of what you're talking about. So yeah. Alan, Alan, jump in here. Yeah. So, you know, man, you, you get a unique view of the church in America through this because we talk a lot about plateaued and declining churches. But give us some more descriptors uh, of the evangelical church in the United States at this time. Well, for starters, uh, there's a troubling statistic that has been around at least as long as I have been engaged with local church ministry. And a statistic is that um, over 80% of American Protestant churches are in plateau and decline. And uh, I heard that first probably in about 1988, somewhere along then, people like Lyle Schaller, uh, were writing about that. And then along came folks like George Barna and later Ed Stetzer, Tom Rayner. And it's very troubling to me that, you know, 30 whatever years later, that statistic is still in play. And, uh, you know, one wonders, how could that be? Because we've gotten so much better at planting churches uh, plus, a lot of churches are closing year after year uh, and essentially stepping off of the statistical platform. So one would think that we would be down to, say, 75 percent, 65 percent. And yet we have that that very steady presence of that statistic, which which says to me that year after year after year, Another wave of established churches crashes onto that beach of plateau. Uh, and so we're, we're, it's kind of like we're bailing water out of the ship while taking on water at the same time. 
Good analogy. So one of the things that I feel very strongly about is, you know, applying my life in a way that helps stop that bleeding. So that, that's sort of the broad view. Uh, when you break it down to, so what's happening at the local church that causes this, uh, I think this, the single most significant element is the is that we become we become a nation of inwardly facing churches. Our focus is on caring for and providing ministry for our existing congregation with some sort of distant daydream or wishful thinking, uh, hoping that new people will show up, but placing the burden on their showing up on them. So, you know, we don't, we've lost, well, one of the ways I, I frame this is that we have seemed to have lost both the will and the skill of doing outreach and evangelism effectively. Yeah, that's a, a, sober, a sobering word. Sobering, and, and, I like that descriptor of it, unfortunately. Yeah, when uh, wondering, and you've started to answer this question already, I think you've given the, the first answer, but maybe there are more. When you walk in to consult with a church that's in need of revitalization, Ken, what things do you typically observe that have gotten the church into the state that it's in? That unfortunately could be a really, really long list. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let me uh, let me hit on a few bullets. Of course, as I just said, more than likely that church is inwardly focused, and uh, what tends to happen in communities is that uh, there are demographic transitions taking place outside of the church uh, at a much more rapid pace than the demographic transition inside the church. So you end up, for example, the church I went to in Arizona um, uh, was in a community that had largely become Hispanic over a period of years, and there had been no adjustment adaptation to that reality inside the church. So you have this uh, shrinking Caucasian church in the midst of a of, a, of an exploding Hispanic community. The cultural gap between church and community gets wider and wider and wider to the point that the church sort of earns its way into being irrelevant. So that, that's a big thing. Another thing is that uh, oftentimes uh, the key leadership in the church has lost uh, a connection with, with biblical eldership of, you know, think of, um, of Timothy and Titus, for example, uh, you know, ministry of the word and prayer, being apt to teach, those kinds of things that you see as qualifications for spiritual ministry. But very often the key leaders are not engaged in that kind of ministry. They're more or less managing the operations of a church. So it's more about organizational management than it is about spiritual development of people. Uh, so oftentimes there's a, there's a structural issue as well. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that are very, very widespread. And uh, these are the kind of things that tend to stand out right away once you 
take a look at what's going on in the church, you know, how they're spending their time, how they're allocating resources and what the budget looks like, that sort of thing. Helpful observations, Ken. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. So then steps in the church revitalizing pastor. How important is pastoral leadership in revitalization? It's extremely important. And that can that can work from both a negative and a positive level. Uh, for example, if the pastor who is already present in the church is not going to be effective at leading the church uh, through revitalization, that's gonna that's going to block the church's ability to revitalize. So. The influence of the pastor in a case like that could be a negative influence. The flip side, as you, as the way you frame the question, you talked about a revitalization pastor stepping in. Well, that that pastor uh, certainly can't do it alone, but uh, someone has to be at the wheel. Someone has to be the champion of the cause. Uh, someone has to keep the focus. Uh, on the main things. And, uh, you know, typically it's that lead pastor who plays that role. Uh, the, the picture I have in my mind is as this person wakes up every morning with the revitalization of this church on his mind. Uh, so it's not something that you can drift in and out of. It's a 24-7 constant pursuit of taking one step, another step, another step, and, uh, you know, being the, the catalyst to, uh, to, to get it started. Yeah, been there, done that. Um, yes, you know, you your, your first, first thought in the morning, your last thought at night, and too many times your thoughts in the middle of the night about right. that revitalization right. church that you're, you're trying to lead. So I met you, Ken, uh, first at a church multiplication training center, church planning boot camp back in the day probably in Tampa, I can't remember for sure. Uh, Bill Malik, the founder of CMTC, is listening to us in the background, a uh, great leader and provided a great service to the church uh, through that, now now leading Fresh Start and right. it's the South Pacific District of the uh, CNMA. I really appreciate Bill. Anyway, at that uh, church planting boot camp, I heard you describe the tur- turnaround pastor as a church planter plus and that became embedded in my mind and even made it into the book I wrote, Changing Course. Uh, unpack what you mean by that, if you will, this whole concept of a church planner plus. Yeah. Well, I think the, the origin of that, of course, started with my having cut my teeth in ministry on church planting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was, the, that was the track that I was running in and the track that I thought that I would be in for my ministry life. Uh, and in fact, uh, you know, Bill Malik was instrumental in uh, recruiting me to, to take that church in Phoenix. And Bill and I, of course, still work together with Fresh Start. Well, what I discovered uh, upon arrival in Phoenix is that when I looked at this group of 13 folks, I realized that certainly as their pastor, of course, I had a responsibility to them as a as a small congregation, as individual people and married couples. But I also knew 
that they were not really wired for a pioneering entrepreneurial venture. So I realized that for this church to have a future, it was going to require the kinds of thinking and strategic application that a church planter uh, applies. Uh, we've got to get into the community. We've got to discern a vision. We've got to become relevant to the residents that live around us. We've got to uh, build a future congregation based upon uh, people we don't even know yet. At the same time, we've got to do this in tandem with caring for a pre-existing congregation. And so what I realized early on is that we do need all of the things that a church planter brings to the table, but we need more. We need to be able to uh, ascertain why is it that this church has declined so greatly? What are the issues? Have they been identified? Have they been addressed? How do we not repeat this uh, with round two? So uh, somewhere along the line in my thinking, the concept of uh, the revitalization pastor being a church planter plus was born. You know, several things happened for me. One was uh, I was working on my doctor of ministry degree, and I selected uh, decline in the church as the focus of my dissertation. So that gave me uh, the motivation to become more uh, informed, better read, better studied on things of this kind. And I created uh, an assessment tool for revitalization pastors that defined more thoroughly what, I, what that meant, Church Planter Plus. Uh, as our church in Phoenix gained traction, I started being asked to, uh, you know, speak at other churches or lead elders retreats or lead a workshop here and there, eventually offering uh, what we called restart training through CMTC. And so uh, things had to be codified. You know, we needed a language. We needed a vocabulary to talk about these things. So throughout all that, the, the, the concept of the church planter plus uh, began to grow and take on a more formal dimension. We also use that language of Church Planter Plus in the context of bringing pastors in for the fresh start model. Now, some of the things that we're looking for in a Church Planter Plus, there are certain attributes that the Church Planter Plus needs to have. Uh, this person needs to have that visionary catalytic capability of a planter, but as you would probably agree, often the, uh, the church planter temperament can be a bit of a bull in a china shop. Okay. No. Well, <laughs> what, what I have realized is that the remnant congregation of a decline church is China. So if you put a pure church planter into that mix, you know, taking this analogy to ridiculous lengths, you're going to hear the sound of breaking glass. Okay, so we need that church planter uh, aggressiveness, proactivity, but we need a softer touch. 
Mm -hmm. uh, kind of the velvet glove kind of thing, because this person also needs to be perhaps stronger on the shepherding side, the, the, the compassion side, the grace side, than uh, is typical, say, in a church planting mix. So here, here's a couple of uh, a couple of those attributes that that might be a little obscure, not obvious. One would be this: to be effective as a revitalization pastor, you have to be able to lead without affirmation. Uh, you're leading against the grain of what that remnant congregation is used to. They're looking for a caretaker. They want to see the same person in the pulpit every Sunday. Uh, they're looking for uh, care, but at the same time, they need to be moved toward uh, a discerned vision. Well, no surprise, church folks and change don't necessarily mix very well. So a lot of times when that revitalization pastor is beginning that slow climb out of decline, the, the pre-existing congregation is not feeling great about things. There's not a lot of warm fuzzies coming from the congregation, pats on the back, great job, pastor, that kind of thing. So, you know, if, if your temperament is such that you really need uh, to feel that kind of encouragement and affirmation uh, from your congregation. You need to have folks that that uh, are feeling very positive about everything that you're doing. Then you probably should not be a revitalization pastor. Okay, that's that's one of the things. Um, a companion to that would be something along these lines. I encourage the revitalization pastor to have, let's say, limited to no other conflict going on in his life. You know, don't go into this if you're struggling with your teenage child, if you're having marital problems, if you're under financial pressure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the, the, the task of leading a declined church out of decline is all of the conflict you need right now. Don't enter into any kind of double jeopardy scenario if yeah. that can be avoided. Yeah. So those are some of the things that we talk about. So uh, one of the things I wrote in my book was that turnaround pastors or revitalization pastors need to be patient because it doesn't happen as quickly as we want it to. Give us an idea of how long it typically takes uh, to see a church revitalized, Ken? Yeah, I get asked that question a lot. And of course, the nature of the question typically is that whoever's asking it wants it to happen overnight. Exactly. You know, it's like, hey, we want to bring you in for a weekend, and by Monday morning, we want to be revitalized. <laughs> okay. Well, Why don't we wish we could do that? Yeah, here's the deal. The starting point for understanding that dynamic is to realize that in most cases, it's taken decades for the church to become whatever it is. And so the idea of a quick turnaround is, uh, is let's call it, uh, let's say delusional, okay? <laughs> it's not going to happen. No. At the same time, though, we can't string this thing out forever uh, mm. because people lose heart, they lose motivation, uh, they have a sense that we're not getting anywhere. So 
the way I frame this concept is that, in my opinion, based on my understanding and experience, observation, as well as the, the nature of the curriculum for training that I've developed, I press for a church to complete a process in 18 to 24 months. Okay. Now, that does not mean that the church will necessarily be fully revitalized in 18 to 24 months. But revitalization will have gained enough traction in 18 to 24 months that leaders should be able to continue building on that without the involvement of a third party, such as myself, uh, being part of the mix. <laughs> yeah. Good. Very helpful. Very helpful. It's probably good to start that with that in mind for sure. So, you know, but obviously a pastor needs hope to sustain him in the middle of that process. So what are, what are some things that give you hope for the revitalization of a specific church when you observe them? Well, you know, bottom line, of course, is that, uh, it's a God thing. It's a spiritual enterprise, and Jesus Christ is building his church. Uh, mm. That's where we place our ultimate hope. In terms of church leaders, it's always hopeful when you see lights go on in the midst of a consultation or um, a, a training event, uh, and you you realize that these, some of these leaders, hopefully the pastor and at least a handful of key leaders are, are seeing the possibilities. Okay. They're, they're, they're coming around to the belief that this, this can happen. Now, one of the things that uh, I try to establish from day one is that we're going to have to build two platforms in this church. One platform I call spiritual renewal. The second platform I call strategic initiative. Mm. We've got to have the spiritual and the strategic working hand in glove. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the models that I, I draw from is the model of Nehemiah, who very clearly started with spiritual renewal. He wept, he mourned, he fasted, he prayed over the condition of God's people in Jerusalem. But he also took uh, very strategic action <laughs> and ultimately saw the, you know, the wall rebuilt, the gates rehung, the housing restored, the people engaged, the temple uh, reactivated. And so uh, that model I try to put in front of people to say, uh, hey, this can, this can happen by the grace of God. And so when I start to see people get that, that's when I feel the most hopeful. Now, one key ingredient to uh, my particular approach is that you don't revitalize a church as prerequisite to reaching out. A lot of leaders and pastors think that, you know, hey, we, we want to we upgrade our outreach and evangelism, but don't we need a season of getting ready for that? And I just want to say, you know, your whole life has been a season getting ready for this. 
you know, so don't wait. You don't, you don't revitalize in order to reach out. You revitalize by reaching out. And so what I've seen happen when leaders grab that concept and begin this sort of on-the-job training of reaching out, when they start to see uh, the number of newcomers attending go up a bit, they start to see a couple of conversions when they haven't seen such things for a while. It really opens, uh, opens their hearts and minds to believe that, okay, not only is God powerful enough to do these kinds of things in other churches, but he's starting to do it right here. Mm. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, you're, uh, you're preaching my sermon, Ken. I love it. And uh, <laughs> by the way, uh, uh, Bill Malik gave me a book recently called The Nehemiah Code by O.S. Hawkins, and a uh, great, great read and gets into some of the things that you were starting to talk about there, Ken. Yes. Hope is uh, a precious commodity, and one of the things that gives us hope is when we hear stories where God broke through and revitalized the church. Can you leave us on that note today, Ken, and share one story with us of a revitalized church that would stir the faith and hope of our listeners? Yeah, you know, uh, of course, it looks different church to church to church. Uh, uh, there's always different circumstances. One church that uh, always comes to mind for me is a church uh, in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. This is a typical church, a um, couple hundred people involved in the church. It was originally part of a, uh, a mainstream denomination that had become increasingly liberal over time. And so this church pulled out and uh, reconnected with a solidly evangelical denomination. And in a lot of cases, when churches do that, they feel that they've solved all their problems just by changing that affiliation. But that, of course, is not the case. It's wonderful that they did that. However, that did not solve their problem of being caught in kind of a long-term plateau. So they went through revitalization training, and I always make an emphasis of, uh, of outreach and evangelism. And part of that is to identify what I call the context. Who are the people you're trying to reach specifically? If you, you know, the gospel, of course, is freely offered to everyone, but I don't think it's wise for a church to think that they can simply reach everyone through general ministry. They need to identify particular groups to focus on. Well, this church, uh, which was the typical aging church, has a college nearby. And as they prayed through this idea of who should we focus on with our outreach and evangelism, one group that surfaced was we need to, we need to be reaching these college students. So what they did, which is very uncharacteristic, is they went and uh, rented a little uh, open bay in a, in a strip shopping area right on the edge of the campus. And it, was, you know, it wasn't uh, like a, a business, a retail kind of thing. They just opened a little coffee shop a couple nights a week. And a few students started coming. A few other students started coming, uh, particularly students from the international student community 
started to gather there a couple, three nights a week. And uh, it was just a very slow climb getting involved with these students and uh, gradually building relationships. Now, these kids weren't showing up at church. They weren't doing, you know, organized Bible study or anything yet. It was just simple relationship building. Well, unfortunately, about six months into this uh, experiment, there was a, uh, a car accident in which uh, four of the students from this college were killed. Mm. Well, when that happened, students began flocking to this little coffee shop such that they were open like most nights of the week. They were counseling. Bible studies emerged, prayer sessions emerged, and over a period of time, some of these students began showing up at a Sunday morning worship service, and eventually, the first couple of student conversions were seen by this little church. And, you know, that's that's a very uh, specific example, very, in a sense, a narrow focus But it was so uncharacteristic for this church to have taken that step to, first of all, just rent the space. That was, let's just say, much debate among the leaders of that church and the congregation about the wisdom of spending money on such a thing. And yet, God, being aware of what was coming, when the crisis hit, They were there, right place, right time, to minister to those students. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that we see frequently. Churches catching this this vision of, you know, we've been a quiet, introspective church far too long. It's time to be in the community. It's time to make a difference. And these kinds of things pop up. Yeah, that's beautiful. Love that. I love that it's cross-generational, too, in that case. Yeah, that's great. Well, hey, Ken, we love your heart, and you know, we're kindred spirits, in fact, and uh, love what you're doing. So thanks for taking the time out to talk to us today, being a part of Equipping You podcast. Absolutely. And uh, we trust God's best uh, on your ministry as you continue seeking to help churches revitalize. Yeah, thank you, sir. Appreciate that. All right. We'll catch you next time. All right. God bless you guys. Well, some good insights for our listeners, many of whom are pastoring or leaders in plateaued or declining churches and can uh, take what Ken said and put it into practical use. So uh, what what struck you, Alan? Well, what struck me is that it's ironic that in the intro to our podcast today, you were seeing a theme song from Welcome Back, Cotter, and that's where John Travolta made a name for himself. And Ken then talked to us all about how churches can work at staying alive, staying alive. <laughs> Uh, uh, oh wow! <laughs> oh. wow. No, but seriously, gave some. You know, this is a this is a voice of experience. You know, and uh, and you can tell his heart is totally in it. And I love how when we talk to these guys that do the revitalization, every time they come back with the absolute truth. It has to be a God thing. Yeah, and it has to be focused outward. Regaining yep. our heart for evangelism. I mean, how do you argue with all that stuff? That is, wow, beautiful stuff. Kind of fundamental, isn't it? It is fundamental. All right. So uh, spread the word, ladies and gentlemen. 
Be Evangelist for Jesus, but also be Evangelist for Equipping You podcasts so that you can help your fellow leaders lead people. That's right. That's right. So uh, we, we appreciate those who listen. And yes, we look forward to uh, having you back next time on Equipping You podcast. Until then, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.